Hi, I'm Isaac Dover, and welcome to Off Message, brought to you for this episode from just off the floor of the Democratic National Committee meeting here in Atlanta. I spent all of Saturday looking at the faces of DNC members as they realized they were going to have a 12-hour day in front of them, picking the new chair, and then secretary and treasurer, and all the way down now to the vice chairs as we get to the end of the night. Donna Brazil, the interim chair of the DNC, took over uh, in the midst of all the uh, hacking problems that led to the departure of Debbie Wasserman Schultz right in the middle of the Democratic convention last summer, has had a rough year and had a lot of things that she had to deal with as the DNC was suffering through a lot of dysfunction and obviously what was a very bad year for the Democratic Party. Donna hasn't talked much about any of that, but now, as she is officially no longer the interim chair of the Democratic Party, and Tom Perez has won election to replace her, she's ready to open up. I want to remind everybody to follow me on Twitter and on Facebook, at Isaac Dover on Twitter. Pull me up on Facebook. Email me at Isaac at Politico.com. Let me know who you want to hear from next, who you're interested in, what the issues that you're interested in, and we will do our best to bring those people on. And now let's get to Donna Brazil. This was a hard year for you. Was it the hardest year of your life? No. Um, it's almost on par with Hurricane Katrina mm-hmm. in many ways in terms of the level of stress, anxiety, um, it actually Were you in New Orleans when Katrina hit? No, I was not. I, I was uh, on the East Coast. It actually, um, 2016 felt good. I mean, mm-hmm. I, after all, I was doing what I enjoyed best. I was traveling um, from state to state, uh, following the uh, unfolding of the 2016 presidential calendar, the primary calendar. Um, I've had a hand in shaping the calendar now for 20 plus years. And so I was enjoying myself. Uh, and then I received that phone call. Right. Uh, but it wasn't the phone call that you might think it was. It was the phone call telling me that Seth Rich was murdered. Mm-hmm. That, in my judgment, turned everything around. All of a sudden, I went from, you know, somewhat of a predictable life, uh, waking up, figuring out if I had. Uh, a TV uh, appearance, if I had, you know, a lecture, if I had to travel, you know, for some campaigns. And, but when Seth uh, died, it really changed my life. Did you work with Seth a lot? Seth belonged to, to my department. Hmm. I, I, I was the former vice chair for right. civic engagement and voter protection. And I, I have three staff people, and Seth was a member of my team. Uh, he was a great member of my team. Uh, he developed a lot of the technology that we began to use to uh, help citizens register to vote and those citizens who were uh, registered to find their polling place. So it really came, came as a complete shock. Seth was a patriot. He wanted to participate in uh, electoral democracy. He had... Um, uh, he had applied to even go up to Brooklyn to work mm-hmm. on the Clinton campaign once the nomination was over. Uh, he was in a period of transition, and he was murdered in the midst of that. And then, and that's right before uh, 
uh, everything happens with you taking over his chair? Well, about uh, 14 days later, uh, <laughs> after I visited the uh, Republican convention, I, uh, that was my, I believe, my fourth Republican convention. Um, started out. And what number Democratic convention are we at? For? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm involved in so many conventions. I've been to every Democratic convention since 1984, yeah. and I attended the 2004, 2008, in 2012 and 2016 Republican Convention right. as part of the uh, political team for CBC, uh, CNN and ABC. Right. So uh, what's, what's the call when they, uh, it's done and we need you to take over the Democratic National Committee? Well, the first time uh, I took over in 2011, it was a call from uh, Tim Kaine uh, telling me that he had decided to run for the United States right. Senate. Uh, and I said at the time, uh, can you give me a few hours mm. uh, to make a phone call? Uh, the good news is that unlike uh, September of 1999 when Al Gore asked me to be his campaign manager <laughs> when I had to drop everything right. but teaching, my semester had already come to a close. So I did not have to drop teaching. When I received the call this time, uh, I had to make some immediate decisions, and the first one, of course, was... Uh, to suspend my um, contracts right. uh, with not just CNN and ABC, but also uh, I was a syndicated newspaper writer. I wrote for Essence Magazine, mm -hmm. Ms. Magazine, all the Oprah Magazine. I also suspended all of my uh, business contracts mm -hmm. and ties. I essentially had to strip my life uh, down and, to the bare minimum. You know, I, I used but to... But that's what happens when Obama calls and says we need well, to Well, whenever you get a phone call <laughs> and you have five... <laughs> five basic buckets. My, my bucket, my DNC bucket, I used to call it my empty bucket because while uh, it was a fulfilling responsibility, it didn't pay. Yeah. <laughs> and so I decided to, to uh, step up without pay, uh, and I have no regrets. Do you feel that the, the Russians w were spying on you, that they were targeting you, that they were, or, or just that they were they were all into the DNC. What was that like? Thinking every day you show up, you don't know. Uh, I heard a story that you walked around with a, a watering can sometimes uh, in the DNC. You said you were watering the bugs. Oh, <laughs> I did. It's a green watering can. Um, when I... Uh, but was that real? Did you feel like they were, they were in things? Well, before I can, it took a while for me to really come to understand what was happening. I think initially on, on July 24th, when I heard Robbie Mook at around 8.15, 8.20 in the morning tell George Stepanopoulos, it's the Russians. Yeah. Well, um, previously, we were told that it was a foreign state actor right. back in June. As an officer, I was told in June right. that it was a foreign state actor, but... No one gave us details. What we were told as officers of the, of the DNC, uh, Debbie told us, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the former chair, called. She got us on a phone call and she said, we're going to release a statement uh, to let people know that the DNC was hacked. And we asked for more details. And at the time, the only details she could provide was that it was a foreign state actor. I didn't know um, exactly what 
was a current until mm-hmm. I, I actually became the interim chair. But when you're chair, do you think they might be on my phone? They might be in my emails every day? What's that like? What's it, uh, <laughs> how do you go about doing your job when you're thinking that? Well, when you get briefed by federal officials, including the number three at the FBI, <laughs> and you sign, you sign a non-disclosure, right. uh, you're taken to a secured room, you give up all of your quote-unquote electronics, um, and you are then you are given a super secret uh, briefing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have well, I had until I stepped down a State Department briefing, uh, and a State Department security clearance. Mm-hmm. And when I stepped into that briefing room, I showed them my State Department security badge. I thought that oh my God, well you know I'm already you know <laughs> I'm already a big deal with right. a security clearance. But they told me to put that away. And I said, why? I thought it was just a departmental issue. They said, no, this is at a higher level. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I knew that this was super serious. All I could tell you is that when I left that room after that briefing um, with a few other officers, Tom McMahon, who was my transition director, uh, the former number three at Justice Department, uh, Sean Henry with CrowdStrike, and Michael Sussman, a former bureau uh, personnel, I went back to the DNC, closed the office, and stared at the ceilings. I, I, there was nothing else I could do. And then, but you have to show up to work the next day, and you have to think like this is all going on. How does that? How does that change how you go about doing your work? I was scared. I was scared that first day and night. I went home that night. I couldn't talk to anybody yeah. because I had a. I couldn't even tell the staff yeah. what was happening to them. Right. The only thing I could do. You feel guilty about not telling the staff? Well, or? I could not. I had a. I had no, a I know that you. Right. Of course. No, I, I. I felt my first reaction was fear. My second reaction when I returned to work the next morning, I made a conscious decision <laughs> to go back to work. Overnight as I tried to process it by myself, I became very angry Mm -hmm. that this was happening. I became angry that it was happening to the DNC. I became angry that that it was happening to the United States. And I became very angry that the world didn't know. And therefore, I had to find ways to beat myself up. And so it's funny. I called Sean Henry because Sean Henry um, knew a lot more about all of these so-called, you know, I didn't know FSB, Fancy right. Bear, Cozy Bear. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I can now tell you Fancy Bear, Cozy Bear, FSB, because prior to, I would say, December, I didn't go out and talk about Fancy Bear mm-hmm. or Cozy Bear because I was told with my non-disclosure agreement, I could not share the information with anyone in the public, including the press. Mm -hmm. Um, But Sean Henry took my call and I said, Sean, I'm really angry now. I'm angry that this is happening. I am no longer a partisan. I'm a patriot because I thought this was happening to my country. How do do you lead an organization when you're scared, when you're thinking... And over the course of the next couple months, it it became public, right? All the staff knew. We all started to know that there was an issue with Russia specifically. So they're knowing now what's not the extent of what you got in that briefing, but they're knowing some of what's going on. And you're angry. You're scared. You're thinking that that's going on. 
what do you do to the staff? How do you lead that staff to, to get them through well, what they need to get through? Well, staff morale was already low. I had spent the better part of two weeks apologizing to just about anyone who would apologize. I often say, thank God I'm Catholic because <laughs> confession is part of who I am. And every week of my life, since the age of seven, I've confessed some aspect of my wrongdoings to someone. <laughs> and so uh, being a great confessor, um, I spent a lot of time uh, calling up donors. I began to, I had to do three things, four things simultaneously. Mm-hmm. One, I had to focus on the, the cybersecurity aspect of this. I reached out to people who knew a lot more about cybersecurity than myself. Uh, I reached out to um, my finance uh, council because I began to hear uh, from more individuals that they were being harassed. Mm-hmm. So initially I heard from the staff people uh, and immediately I wanted the staff people to come to Philadelphia before the end of the convention. This is before my, my full briefing. I had right. a partial briefing. And because morale was still right. low, Seth, all, you know, Well, and aside from the, away. I mean, the Seth thing is obviously much bigger. But, I mean, what I've been told by staff. But remember, there was an exploit. And, people were exploiting right. Seth's death on the Internet. Yep. Um, and Saying that he was killed as part yeah, of, like, because, because a, he was part the Part of a leak. conspiracy. Right. And then there also, there were some who even tried to accuse uh, Secretary Clinton. Right. Uh, so there were a lot of malicious things said, being said on the internet. I wanted to comfort the staff. I wanted to comfort the donors. I mm-hmm. wanted to comfort the people who felt victimized. But I also wanted to bring the party together. Yeah. Uh, my 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 focus was cybersecurity, healing the staff, healing the donors, and you know bringing the party together. That meant bringing in people from the Sanders campaign to come into the DNC so that I can conduct a very extensive forensic analysis right. of, of any problems or mistakes that might have occurred. And so it was, I, I had no time at that point right. to deal with my fears. I was dealing with a party that was badly um, maligned, yeah. a party that was broke. Yeah. I was dealing with staff morale, People leaving, people resigning, as well as the decision to ask certain individuals who I believed at the time uh, showed pet, uh, bad judgment. And I, you know, because they're my friends, I requested that they talk to me and give me their own analysis. And many of them decided to leave rather than become a distraction. But, and, and then you have staff who suddenly, because their emails are out there, are getting targeted. I, and I think people may not understand what can happen in this situation where, I mean, I've gotten a lot of emails uh, for just uh, people don't like stories that I write sometimes uh, that are nowhere near as rough of what I know is coming into a there's lot a of stuff. And people, people saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to oh, rape no, you. No. I'm going to come after you. Yeah. And, right. You know, there's a difference. Look, I've been on, I've been, you know, on TV, I've written columns. Right. I mean, I've had people who disagree with me. Look, yeah. after the contentious 2008 campaign in which, Hillary Clinton lost uh, to Barack Obama, although she had more votes, he had more delegates. Uh, I had people come after me. I mean, there's nothing like people who are upset and angry because their candidate didn't win, and you get vile, right. nasty, malicious. That's different. Yeah. These are people who target you because you are an employee of the DNC. Right. These are people who target you uh, because they have 
uh, an objective. And it's different because you've been through this for a while now. You're not at the beginning of your career. I am. You had people, you had staffers who were, hey, I didn't say anything other than you're not at the beginning of your career. You've been through a couple of battles. Imagine, imagine <laughs> being the first black woman to manage a presidential campaign and move your entire staff to Tennessee. They need me. Uh, we're going to take a break on take moving break. your entire staff to Tennessee. All right, I'll be back. So we have the, the last round of voting coming, but just you got some good news while... Uh, Special election in Delaware, uh, the 10th uh, Senate District, Vice President Biden, uh, Martin O'Malley, the Delaware Party. Uh, this was uh, one of those important victories, uh, a down-ballot race, but we've learned over the last eight years that these down-ballot races, especially in state houses, matter. Yeah. And... We feared that if we didn't invest in this race, that once again, the Republicans would win another chamber. So, yay, we're happy. And it's the last race that happens on your watch. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, better, you know, to, better to end with a win than a loss. Uh, it, it, it's good to, <laughs> to end with not just a victory, but also um, the DNC is much stronger. I walked into a party that couldn't raise money that had enormous hemorrhage of support. Um, over the last six weeks, we've signed up more than 150,000 new members. The average contribution now is $23. We're working to help uh, pay off all of the state party debt. We're continuing to fund our state parties every month with the SPP, the state party program. Uh, that is, we allow them, we, we send them a check for 7500 for staff, for any for targeting, um, we are we're stronger today than ever before. I want to take back to where you were right before we broke, which was Tennessee, picking up and moving to Tennessee. That was, a, you know, being the first black woman to manage a presidential campaign. I worked with uh, Arnold Pinckney, who ran Jesse Jackson's campaign in 1984. Um, that was a, a very interesting experience because I had to move to my native south and of course I received you know the kind of bigoted statements threats um, and much much more but it was it's it was just for being picked as campaign manager well you know it's it's like when when I started working in politics at a very very young age and what's the first race a city council race in, in 1969 in my native uh, Louisiana. Um, and, you know, I've never been a candidate. Yeah. And so I've, I've never been subjected to vitriol. But once you become uh, a campaign manager and once you're more visible and people see you, it, it, it's, I don't know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that we still have um, people who target you simply because of what you look like. But I can tell you by... You know, I've worked on campaigns in just about every state in this country. The vast majority of my experiences, uh, they've been very, very positive. Uh, I enjoy politics. I, I enjoy public service. But, yeah, every now and then you get the kind of vitriol that is just uh, unpleasant. And what yeah. was going on, a lot of it comes through Twitter now or, or uh, emails. This is all before this my, my ex-boss right? invented the Internet. <laughs> And uh, inspired the invention of the internet, that is correct. But uh, no, it was just mail, it was phone calls. At, at your home? 
at my at the headquarters mainly. Yeah. Uh, was it scarier with the Russians this past year, or oh, was it? Oh, this was something I've never experienced in my life. Uh, in large part because it was a combination of the internet. It was suspicious packages arriving at our headquarters. Uh, we got to the point where we we did not want any packages arriving that had not been X-rayed or checked. Uh, we turned back packages that you know this is before uh, we had better protection as a result of the D Triple C hat. We got we received better protection. We changed uh, the, the the security protocols at the DNC. We installed more security cameras. We had the building swept twice uh, for suspicious devices. Plus, you uh, find anything? Uh, yes, we did report what we found. We reported every. Uh, we reported incidents to not just uh, the local police, federal officials, and more. One of the thank yous that you did in your morning farewell speech uh, as the proceedings got started was to a person who helped you get into your house and make sure that it was safe. <laughs> What's that like? Why did you feel that you weren't safe in your home? Because you were getting things at home? I started to get things at home. Um, first, uh, near, near my, you know, my, my property. Um, I talked to representatives of the Metropolitan Police Department. In Washington? Yes, I asked them to add additional, I mean, we have a really good neighborhood association where I live, but I told them that I needed help with um, uh, someone to patrol the garage area, uh, as well as the front of my house, and uh, when I would get home late at night, not from the, not just from working, but from traveling, sure. whatever, um, Mr. Uh, there was an individual who would often go up the stairs, you know, gentlemen, to make sure that there was nothing suspicious, no packages. Uh, we would take pictures of it if we did and send them on. And so there were things that, you, that oh, spoke yeah. to you? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I followed through uh, more after WikiLeaks. I yeah. mean, WikiLeaks just put us all on, on a, a different uh type of security uh, patrol because of the intensity of the uh, uh, of the vitriol, it, you know, and then some of the commentary that was being made by uh, candidates that would lead people to believe that, uh, um, you, you know what it's like on the internet. I mean, you've gotten some of those threats, but in my case, I got phone calls and then I wanted to make sure that my staff was protected. So my number one priority was the DNC uh, and to make sure that our building was safe. When, when you got the call asking you to be the interim chair, if you had been told you're not going to feel safe coming home at night some nights, would you have done it? I don't, I don't even, I see, I can't even imagine anyone would have told me. When I got the call, and later at the end of the week, when I had a chance to, well, to see Hillary uh, as well as um, Bernie, I, I just kept squeezing a hand, like, right. yeah, I, I know, I, I got it. I've, mm. I've, I've run a campaign. <laughs> I've been interim chair. And so in the back of my mind, it's like three months. Yeah. You know, August, September, and October. <laughs> By November, you're back right. to work. Um, I had no idea. Let's uh, talk. You ended up being the focus uh, for Donald Trump during the campaign and others. I thought for... he loved me. I really <laughs> did. I really did. Look, I got a chance to uh, meet Mr. Trump at several of the Republican forums and debates. 
he was charming. He always, uh, we talked about politics. In fact, Did you think he was going to win at those debates? Uh, I, look, I mean, as a, as a strategist, back in August during the Iowa Fair, I said on ABC, I believe, at the time, that yes, I mean, I, I, you, you could feel the groundswell for Donald Trump. He was a different kind of candidate who was rewriting the Republican yeah. rule book. Uh, the establishment of the Republican Party thought that they could dispense of him, and I kept seeing grassroots support. Uh, and yes, I, I went to the D, the DSCC, um, John was there, uh, their um, retreat. Uh, and I spoke before John, I believe, and I think at the time, well, John helped me with that. I forgot. <laughs> Sorry, John. Um, I, I talked about how Donald Trump could be a threat in the Midwest if, if John would. I talked about uh, because Claire McCaskill was there, Tammy Baldwin was there, uh, Bob Casey, and I kept talking, and Al Franken, and I kept saying, he is a threat. He, there's a possibility. And did they say you're crazy? No one said I was, but they looked at me. I mean, you know, we had Stan Greenberg and several other uh, individuals on, on the stage, but I, it was my gut because yeah. I travel the country. I yeah. spend more time outside of D.C. Yeah. On average, I spend four to five days outside of D.C. I try to get home on Sundays, especially if I have a Sunday show, but in my past. Um, but I kept feeling this uprising. And, and, but nobody, nobody, it, it wasn't, you couldn't look at the polls. I just felt it in my gut. But when you talked to Trump at those forums, at those debates, they like, you, you had a good rapport with him? Yeah. And I had a good rapport with all of them. Was the he different with you uh, than, uh, people talk often about how he can be much more engaging and, and charming and, uh, and, and pulling people in pleasant. than he is in public. And, you know, behind the microphone, he has his bluster and it goes to people. And, there's you know, there's uh, no question that, you know, in terms of the Republican candidates, I, know Dr., I knew Dr. Carson. Uh, I knew Rand Paul. Uh, in fact, I've had meetings in, with Rand, Paul's on, uh, Rand Paul on criminal justice reform. I knew Lindsey Graham. Uh, I knew Marco Rubin. I mean, you know him because right. you, you, you're out there on a campaign trail. You're a Democrat. Right. They're Republicans. But you still talk because that's right. politics. And Donald Trump, um, I got a chance to meet Don and Eric. I got a chance to meet Ivanka in large part because she was working with district officials on the hotel and she needed telephone numbers and contacts for people. I helped her. You helped Ivanka Trump she get needed, the she, Trump hotel in no, D.C. No, I did together. not help. No, don't, <laughs> don't, let's not spread rumors. She, they were having some problems. And back in the day, I was Eleanor Holmes Norton Chief yeah. of Staff, so I'm familiar with federal transfer of buildings through GSA to individuals. I didn't know anything about the deal. All I I was on a train with Ivanka, and she said that she was having a, a problem, uh, trouble getting in touch with Mayor Bowser. She knew Eleanor Holmes Norton because of of the. Uh, the groundbreaking. Dead, yeah. Thank you. Look at me. The groundbreaking. <laughs> and I I put in touch with somebody Mayor Bowser. So I had a good rapport. Uh-huh. Uh, good rapport meaning that I could say hello, good morning, goodbye. Can we just talk about what happened with the debate question, that whole issue that you got in the center of? <laughs> you know, I think there's always a lot of confusion when something is put out uh, in a dump of emails that trickles out. So, so the first answer is an easy answer. Did CNN provide... Donna Brazil or any other contributor 
debate questions, no. I've never received questions from CNN. I've made that very clear, made that very plain. I've also made it very clear that I've never received debate questions from ABC or any other source that I've ever worked with. Um, and that much, I will continue uh, to highlight because there's no, there's no there there. CNN never provided questions. When this issue arose back on, I want to say October uh, 11th, 12th, uh, because I was on ABC that, uh, you know, that, that Sunday. And the moment I began to question the validity of the um, emails that were hacked and stolen uh, from John Podesta account, WikiLeaks began to attack my veracity. Right. And within a few days, WikiLeaks uh, dumped a, a series of emails and one or two of them involved me. Now, I made it clear at the time, and I continue to say that CNN never provided questions. The only other way to provide the truth is to put it in context, and the context was simple. At the time of that period, CNN, like other networks, were trying to encourage more candidate debates, but so Hillary Clinton was encouraging candidates to debate. Bernie was challenging the DNC to have more debates. Martin O'Malley was challenging people. Uh, and the offices gathered to uh, expand the number of debates. I was one of the officers who took the lead on expanding the number of debates and getting the candidates, negotiating on behalf of the candidates uh, to expand the debates and to work with various networks uh, to secure those debates. And so you're just talking to the stakeholders. And the I mean, you know, what, but when, you, when you have your emails dumped, the notion that as a partisan, as a strategist, that I'm not going to get involved in the process of providing uh, not just, um, you know, venues, sponsors, uh, topics, questions, moderators. You know, I have spent my entire life fighting to expand the participation of, of not just uh, minority candidates and others in the political process, but also the kind of questions, the kind of topics. If you go back and look at the topics, if you go back and look at the questions, those questions, those topics appear to uh, coincide at the same time we were expanding the participation of other networks into hosting debates or forums. So is, this, is it just that this is a joke that you are, were held to the journalistic standards uh, that journalists are held to when you were a political commentator? When this is, you're not the only political commentator, you're not the only uh, Republican or Democrat who is on TV at the same time as having clients, as having interests. And, and it's the, it's, it seems like, uh, that's what it seemed to me at the time, that we have a system that is kind of silly, but we, uh, in, in having political contributors well, with those Well, you interests. know, at the time, it was just another smear campaign right. by WikiLeaks to try to sow the score, to, to, to somehow or another suggest that I had uh, a cache of questions that, uh, that were given to one candidate over another. No, I spent most of my time during the period of 
of that election cycle, as well as most cycles, trying to ensure that every candidate that I worked with. You know, when you're talking with Republicans, you say, look, here are my topics. Uh, what do you have to say? I don't know what goes on in Republican uh, circles, but I do know who to call. And in the Democratic circles, not only do I uh, talk to, strategize, but I worked with all of the candidates. I worked with everyone. You know, when you look at my emails, my emails were not hacked. Right. <laughs> my emails were not exposed. The emails that were allegedly sent from me, because some, I had spoofed emails also, but the emails that were allegedly sent to me uh, or sent from me, um, you know, uh, told the story, but it mm. didn't tell the complete story. But yes, I was I was judged at a different I was judged at a total different standard. But let me just say this: um, I really I really enjoyed working with CNN. CNN has the utmost integrity. They are a hard group, uh, uh, not only a fantastic organization. Um, they are some of the best people I know in, the, in journalism, and I've worked with them and you know for over a decade and. Um, as I mentioned to them at the time, I thought it was best that I step, right. step down uh, so as to not um, get involved in the what we soon learned, WikiLeaks would do a trickle of information. But it wasn't just WikiLeaks that was coming after you. Then, then Donald Trump started making an issue of it. Uh, you know, because it fit with the narrative. And remember, Donald Trump encouraged the Russians and others to, to, to send more, to, to give him more. Yeah. But, it, but it played into his, his narrative of that, that moment that uh, he insinuated that somehow or another Hillary Clinton uh, was corrupted and the DNC was rigged. And even two weeks ago, uh, he, at that press conference that he had, is still talking about it. Is Donald Trump obsessed with you? You know, <laughs> I don't... At, on, on the night of the election, when Hillary Clinton um, uh, stepped down, I issued a statement uh, congratulating the president-elect. Um, you know, my inclination, whenever the election is over with, is to say, you know... May God be with you. I, I'm I'm more of a, a a patriot than a partisan when it when it comes to the elections over with. But you, he can't you, you stop can, talking about you. No, Donald Trump has not switched off the campaign button. Mm -hmm. uh, he is still in campaign mode, and if he wants to use his time in office, he only has four years. But if he wants to use four years, um, you know, bashing Donna Brazil, uh, insinuating. Um, misleading information that's that's up to mr trump i have no i have i i, I have the respect for the office of the president uh, but i i have no no uh i don't have the capacity i have my emails and my emails uh will tell you exactly what happened my emails also uh indicate that i reached out to the rnc throughout the process uh when we were being hacked to work with us to help us uh, and to uh, join forces to take down the Russians. Given that you had a good relationship with him, is it weird? To, well, it's not uh, a good relationship. I mean, I mean, like I a, I'm, I'm a no, Democrat. I had a good relationship no, with Hillary had, Clinton and it, Bernie Sanders. Right, but now when I say that when I say good relations, I say when I would see him, sure. he was nice. Don't he, don't get no, me no, confused. No, no, no. I, I'm no, not he, his. I'm not his cut buddy. <laughs> personable uh, relationship with him. Uh, nothing uh, deep. But still, now he's standing at the White House talking about you. We're, Donald Trump and I are not friends, but I, I'm not his enemy. I'm not, I'm not the enemy of the President of the United States. 
I would like to think of myself as a citizen activist uh, who will continue to organize, continue to be an agitator, and continue uh, in the future to lift people up and to hopefully help the next chair of the Democratic Party, Mr. Perez, recruit the next generation of Americans to serve in political office. You're about to go sign over uh, the and documents to <laughs> uh, and make it uh, really official. Yes. You talked about what you're hoping that you'll help him do. Yes. When, when you think about it was a bad election for the Democrats, it's a tough moment for the Democratic Party. There's a lot that needs to get done if you guys are ever going to need uh, get back to shape. More than just advice for Tom or, or for, for people who feel dis, disenchanted now, when you think about the tough moments that you've had in your life and you think about tough moments as a woman, women who are really disappointed in what happened in that election, what gives you hope? What, what's going to make... What, what do you say to those people who say, hey, this is, this is rough, but you've been through rough stuff? Uh, first of all, I'm probably one of the luckiest women alive. Uh, when it comes to being able to not just have a seat at the table, but how many kids who grew up in the segregated rural South could honestly wake up one morning and uh, get an invitation to the White House to sit across from the President of the United States who happens to be an African American. Um, I, am, I am most proud of the work that uh, we were able to accomplish, uh, including the passage of the Affordable Care Act, so I'm not going to take my, my marbles and, and go home and not play again. I'm going to take time out to rest, to reflect, to, prob to possibly write, go back to teaching, um, and to continue to try to make a difference. I want to help recruit the next generation of Democratic activists. I think that is uh, the most important thing that someone like myself, who I have a huge Rolodex, um, and just like... I witnessed the election of the first African-American mayor. Uh, I, I ran Mary Landrew, the former United States Senator, first statewide campaign. Uh, I worked for Geraldine Ferraro in the, in the 1984 campaign. Um, I was honored to be the chair of the party during a time when we nominated the first female. Uh, and now we just uh, elected the first Latino uh, to lead a major political party. So I'm going to continue to have hope. I'm going to continue to work for change and to help the next generation serve. And the people who feel depressed and still dejected? Here? Well, you know, you can... Uh, I'm tired. I'm not depressed. I'm tired. I mean, I was tired after we lost one state by 537 votes. So you can imagine <laughs> three states by about 78,170 votes uh, when Donald Trump cracked the blue wall. Uh, but my grandmother, when we were kids growing up, she would call us in honor of our birth. Cheryl, Sheila, Donna, Tate, Chet, Lisa, Demetri, Kevin, Zilla. Did I tell you we were Catholic? <laughs> and my grandmother would give us a prayer. And I'll never forget the scripture that she often uh, quoted from, from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 9. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. For, for members of my generation, 
we're still we're still planting seeds and we're still harvesting. And so my job is I still have a lot of work to do and my job is not done yet. All right, Donna Brazil, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Where's the Russian vodka, Joe? <laughs>